about tonight. The subject is work and idleness. Work and idleness. Our work is a way of serving God. I'm talking about whatever job you have. Obviously, if you're a pastor, you think, well, that's your way of serving God. But whatever God puts you in as a Christian, that work is a way of serving God. Another way of saying it is, whatever God puts you in as a Christian is part of your worship. We We easily don't think of that. But our work, whatever that work might be, is part of our worship of God. Uh, it used to be that people talked about a vocation, not just an occupation, but a vocation. And uh, some of the difference there is an occupation is something you're occupied with. But a vocation has to do with the gifts that God has given you and how you use them. So, anyway, I just want to share some thoughts along the lines of work and idleness. Why don't we pray once again? Father, we pray that you would help us here, that this might be profitable for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Our work, however menial it may seem to others or even to us, matters to God. There is virtue and dignity in honest work, honest pay, thrift, respect of property, diligence, uh, industry, and charity. I put charity on there because part of what we work for is so that we can share with others. The Bible has a lot to say about work, but it starts right out in the book of Genesis. Uh, God's working there, works six days. And also, he puts man to work before the fall. Man and woman, they're in the garden. Let me just read it to you. You don't need to turn to it. But uh, Genesis 2.17, well, it's actually 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. 2.15. To cultivate it and to keep it. Now, this was before the fall, so there was work to do. Now, it became a different, a little bit different kind of work after the fall because uh, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And there it talks about thorns and thistles. In other words, there's more uh, great, um, sweat involved. And that, in fact, that's what he brings out. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. But nevertheless, work was there even prior to that. So God works in the beginning, and he puts man to work before the fall. I might mention also that that work had two aspects, and they were both uh, both had dignity to him. One was that they worked there as far as tilling the soil. That would be more manual labor. But there was also the intellectual work, the intellectual aspect, where he had man name the animals, uh, where he had man name the animals the animals. There was the intellectual aspect of, of labor. And I, I would say even, even this 
thing of work is part of being made in the image of God. God worked and he put man to work. So, uh, again, man's fall into sin changed the character of work, involved sweat, but uh, work for the Christian should never be viewed as evil or a vain thing. It's it's different than most people think of work today, because we've all you know we've almost gotten to the place where uh, the word work is considered something uh, you know uh, evil. If you talk about work, well, that's I want to avoid that. Well, that's that's not at all a Christian attitude. It's one of the ways that we give expression to the gifts that God has given us. Like this dentist, for instance, that was uh, there in Mexico. God gave him some gifts, some abilities, and uh, he's using those for the glory of God. And that should be, you know, that should be the case with all of us as Christians. The gifts that God gives us, we want to use them to glorify the Lord. Um, it's a way of giving expression to our God-given gifts, and it is a way that we worship God as we do our work heartily unto the Lord. Now, I wanted to read a couple quotes here. This one I read you not too long ago. This is from uh, Nicholas Herman, uh, who most of us would have known by a different name, Brother Lawrence. And he wrote that book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And he had quite a bit to say in there about how we should view work, but here's what he said. Nor is it needful that we should do great things. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him, and that done, if there is nothing else uh, else to, for me to do, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. In other words, I work for the Lord. I turn to whatever I'm frying, and I'm doing that for the Lord turn it over in the pan, and then if there's nothing else for me to do, I worship God in prayer, and I thank him that he gave me the ability to turn the thing over in the pan. It's all for God's glory. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. In other words, we can do anything, you know, that's honest, uh, for the love of God, and it pleases God. So that's Brother Lawrence. Now here's a little, uh, some thoughts from A.W. Pink. This is in a little tract called Christian Employees. But he says this in the tract, Whether it be in a factory, the mine, the office, or in the fields, one who claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus can stand out unmistakably from his fellow employees who make no profession. His punctuality, his truthfulness, his conscientiousness, the quality of his work, his devotion to his employer's interest ought to be so apparent that there is no need for him to let others know by his lips that he is a disciple of Christ. There should be such a marked absence of that slackness, carelessness, selfishness, greed, and insolence 
which marks the majority of the ungodly, that all may see he is motivated and regulated by a higher principle than they are. So just the way we do our our so-called secular work can certainly be a testimony. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, we normally think of good works as some charitable act or something, but it can, it can be just, just what Pink was talking about here. How good you do your work can be a testimony uh, of the reality of God in your life. Well, I want to also deal with this subject of non-work or idleness or sloth. Uh, I'm going to use this little illustration for David Wilkerson. I I know I'm going to, you know, get in trouble right off the bat with certain group of people in the room here, but I'll qualify it. (laughs) David Wilkerson, he was... He started this group called Teen Challenge. Some of you people, some of you young ones never heard of David Wilkerson, but he, he was a, a preacher that went into New York and worked with the gangs, and God really used him there. And then after that, he started up a group called Teen Challenge, which helped young people get off drugs and, and uh, all kinds of, helped him out of a lot of problems. Anyway, uh, he had a message that he entitled The Number One Teenage Sin. And you know, kind of know where I'm going with this because of the subject, but, you you know, if you, if you weren't aware of what I've been speaking on, you might think, well, he's talking about rebellion or lying or stealing or unbelief. Well, his message was on wasting time. And he said that was the number one teenage sin. Now, the way I'm going to qualify that is that's not just a problem for teenagers. Uh, we all have that problem. And so it's uh, a message we all need to hear. This area of idleness and laziness is a problem. And the Bible has a lot to say about diligence and hard work in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. There's a lot about this, and especially in the book of Proverbs. So I want to look at a few of the Proverbs related to this. Um, We're told in the New Testament that we need to redeem the time. Well, one of the ways we redeem the time is not being lazy, not being slothful. But in the Old Testament, we have two well-known sections of Scripture that I want to begin with, just to pull some things out of. Uh, So the first would be in Proverbs 6, 16. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. 6 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come upon you like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And then if you turn over to 24, Proverbs 24 and verse 30, 
The writer says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. So he uses two pictures here, uh, the field of the sluggard and the ant, and he draws the same conclusion from both, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come upon you. So Solomon wants us to learn from these simple things, the ant and the field of the sluggard. First of all, the ant. Here's this little insignificant creature. You wouldn't think you could learn too much from it, but Solomon says you can learn quite a bit, uh, some really important lessons. First of all, you would say, I would say one of the lessons is that industry pays off and idleness does not. Being industrious pays off and being idle does not. That's a simple lesson, but they were supposed to learn that from the ant. Uh, another thing I would say that you can learn is that you, we should do the work that God gives us when it should be done. He prepares her food, she, uh, the ant that is, prepares her food in summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. There's a proper time. We need to do it. We need not, <laughs> we should not procrastinate. And it's a uh, lesson that we should learn. Actually, in, in another proverb, it says, He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. So do the work that God puts before us in the time that it should be done in. Uh, another thing we can learn from this ant is uh, don't be the type of person that always needs someone prodding and pushing them to work and have to ha has to have somebody watching over you to make sure you do what you're supposed to do and do it properly. That, that's not the way the ant is. It says here, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer. In other words, she, she just does it because that's when it should be done. It's not, you don't have to have somebody get get going, get doing that, get at it. The ant doesn't have that. It just does its work. So I think that's another lesson uh, that we're to learn from the ant. No uh, inspector is necessary to uh, watch and see that the work's done properly. It's just done properly. So overall, I would say from the ant, we are to learn to go about our work, the work that God has given us, faithfully and consistently. Now, you might say, well, isn't, isn't this ant kind of a contradiction of what Jesus taught concerning the birds? <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus said, uh, look at the birds of the air that they neither sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Doesn't that teaching about the ant kind of contradict what he taught 
hear about the birds? I would say, no, there's no contradiction there. What Jesus was teaching concerning the birds was that it's wrong to worry about those things. He's not saying that uh, it wasn't necessary to work. That's not what at all what Jesus was teaching there concerning the uh, birds. In fact, one man said, God gives the birds their food, but he doesn't throw it into their nest. He doesn't throw it into their nest. Uh, they, they, you know, you watch the birds are out there poking around the grass all the time looking for that worm. But the point is they don't have to worry about those things, the provisions. So um, some of the things there from the, uh, from the ant. But the field of the sluggard is also used as an example for us. <clears throat> so here's this field of the sluggard. It's all overgrown. The, the wall's broken down, uh, and things are just in a mess. Well, why is that? Well, we're told a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to sleep? No, that's not what that means. I think the idea there has to do with a little too much sleep, a little too much slumber, a little too much rest, a little too much sitting around is going to be detrimental. The idea is if you always are looking for that little bit more rest, a little bit more slumber, there's going to be a cost involved. You know, the sluggard is one who, these things, they don't happen all at once. It's subtle, and it's, it's uh, something that kind of uh, comes uh, gradually upon a person. In fact, that's the picture that you get I think, in this account, where he says, we're back in, in 2430 now, your poverty comes, upon, comes as a robber and your want like an armed man. In other words, it's not something you're all that aware of. The robber sneaks in. He comes in stealthily and takes over. And that's how this thing of laziness and idleness will take over your life. And it's, it's like it sneaks in, and soon you are like this field that's overgrown and the wall's broken down. You hardly realize how that happened. Step by step, laziness casts into a deep sleep. Well... Those two examples are some of the main ones there in the book of Proverbs, but there's many, many Proverbs dealing with this subject. Let me just point out some excuses that the slothful person comes up with that we're told in the book of Proverbs. You see, the sluggard always has a, a, a real good reason for being a sluggard, he thinks, in his own mind. Well... Let's talk about procrastination a little bit. I'll do it. I'll just do it later. That's, that's the famous phrase of the sluggard. It never does get done, but their intention is, well, I'll get it done. Just give me a little time. And so we're talking about procrastination. One person said that uh, procrastination is the thief of time. You know, I'll sleep now, and I'll work later, but I just need to get a little more sleep. 
And uh, another, these are just some phrases I ran across. Duties delayed are the devil's delight. One uh, person said, Proverbs 24. The, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Procrastination. Procrastination is actually presumption. You may not have later to do this thing that you say you're going to do. So it's presumption. Another excuse has to do with what might be called false humility. Turn to Proverbs 21, 25. It says this, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. Now, I, the actual uh, literal there for that, where it says all day long he is craving is, is if you have uh, the marginal note like mine, all day long he, and then the, the actual literal there is desires desire. Think about that. Well, I'd like to get that done. He desires desire. I wish I could do it, but I just can't quite get it done. Now, that might, you know, sound like humility. You know, I just don't quite have the capabilities here. But any type of so-called humility that makes us decline our God-given duty is a false humility. It's not, it's not real. It's not true humility. It's actually shirking the things that God has for us to do under the guise of humility. The plea of inability does not excuse us if God has called us to a certain task or job. I wrote uh, this down. I don't remember where I got this, but I thought it was good. Many Christians feel more comfortable with the idea that apart from Christ they can do nothing than they do with the other side of, the, of that phrase, that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. I can do nothing lets me off the hook. I can do all things makes me wonder why I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so be careful of a false humility there. And then one I really like is false fears. I can't do that because, and then you fill in the blank of this great problem that's keeping you from doing what you should be doing. There are real difficulties which face us in our work, but the slothful person invents imaginary difficulties to excuse him from his duties. Proverbs 22.13. This one, I, I get a kick out of this one. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. I can't go out and work. There's a lion outside. Well, people come up with some pretty incredible lions to keep from working. Actually, they're not afraid of the lion. They're afraid of work. And they just use lion as the excuse. Yeah, they're lying about the lion. Uh, you see it again in Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. And then it goes on and tells some other things here. The sluggard 
from verse 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. Now, that's quite a picture, isn't it? You think of a, a door on a hinge. Back and forth and back and forth. That's exactly... All right, it's time to get up. Well, there's work to be done. Get out of bed. That's the way of the sluggard, just like a door on its hinge. And then the next one, the sluggard buries his hand in his dish. He is weary of, of bringing it to his mouth again. What a picture. I mean, this guy is such a sluggard, he can't even feed himself. <laughs> can't even feed himself. Would you please put some food in my mouth? <laughs> oh, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. He's always, they, uh, the point is they got to, oh, I've got this good reason for not doing what I'm supposed to do. He's wiser in his own eyes than seven men that can give a discreet answer. Well, those are a few of the excuses. When he does the least bit of work, like bringing the food to his mouth, he just feels like he's overtaxed himself. I've really gone out of my way now. So we're told that the sleep of the working man is sweet. That's, that's, you know, that's good. A person works, they're tired, they sleep. But the slugger's not like that. He's not sleeping, he's not sleeping from work. He's sleeping from get, trying to get out of work. He's so, he works so hard at trying to come up with ways not to work, that he tires himself out trying to do it, trying to not work, trying to avoid work, and through all the complaining, he's just, he's shot, can't get anything done. So, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think snooze alarms are crazy. Now, maybe you use them. I can't get it. I mean, if, if the thing goes off, why bonk on it and go back to sleep? Set the thing for when you're supposed to... I, I don't know. Maybe this doesn't have anything to do with being a sluggard, but somehow I just don't get the snooze alarm thing. Set the alarm for when you want to get up, and when it goes off, get up. Oh, uh, well. That's, maybe that's a personal feeling there. Another excuse that comes up, and I think probably this fits here under this sluggard is wiser in his own eyes and seven men who can give a discreet answer. I'm really above that kind of work, you know? Yeah, that, yeah, there's one. I'm a little more spiritual than that kind of work. Uh, find somebody that's less holy than me to do that because I'm, you know, I'm above it. Well, that comes in different forms, but people, people have the idea that somehow they're great geniuses and just can't, be called to do that kind of work. Well, if a man won't work, neither let him eat, we're told in the New Testament. And that, that's a pretty good principle. Uh, if they think they're, you know, too, if, they, if they're above that work, if that work's too unimportant, that probably means that you're dealing with a sluggard. You see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. That's what many sluggards are. They're wise in their own eyes. Well, let me just close then with a few kind of random thoughts here. 
not about snooze alarms, but uh, there's a saying that I think has quite a bit of truth to it, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Thomas Watson, an old Puritan, said idleness tempts the devil to tempt us. Uh, there's, I think there's some truth to that. You know, if you're busy, you don't have time to get off into a lot of things that you would or could get into if you were just sitting around. Uh, might have been part of David's problem there with Bathsheba. McGuffey had it right in his famous reader, the devil finds work for idle hands. Well, another kind of random thought here. Learning to work diligently is an education in its own right, whatever the task might be. I was listening to this man, Kevin Lehman, the other day, talking about these seminars that he gives related to raising children. And, I mean, this is kind of maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but he says, now, when I start the seminar, I just say, how many of you families are farm families? And whoever raises their hand said, well, you can go on home because about everything I'm going to tell you, you already know. In other words, he, the point is, he's trying to say, they've learned to work. Now, that's not universal. I'm sure there's lazy farmers, too. <laughs> but uh, but uh, there is something about raising a family on a farm where they learn to work. At least it used to be that way. So, learning to work diligent, diligently is an education in its own right. The, the uh, Proverbs says, Proverbs 14.23, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And that's a good thing. We can talk a lot about being diligent, but the proof of the pudding is being diligent. I mean, I, I, I can stand up here and talk about this stuff, but uh, I know there's areas in my own life where there needs to be much more diligence applied. Here's a thought. You know, these things that we're, we're applying them here in, just in the realm of secular work, but all this stuff goes right on into the spiritual realm. They're, they're, these truths are important spiritually too. And uh, I saw this quote today, no man can become a saint in his sleep. That's good, isn't it? Now, God gives to his children even in their sleep, but a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and poverty, spiritual poverty, I mean, just lack of, of spirituality comes upon us. Now, I, I do want to say this. There are many people who are diligent in the things of this life for wrong reasons. And they're actually... It's possible... It's possible to be a, a somewhat diligent anyway in a job or whatever and still be a sluggard in con concerning your soul. But I will say this, if we're diligent and disciplined for the purpose of godliness, then that will work out also in the area of uh, whatever job we have, secular job. Well, I said this earlier, but I want to emphasize it again. God can be worshipped through our work. How and why we do what we do can make work worship. It can make our work part of our worship. And there's one last thing then I want to bring out, and that is work 
can be therapeutic. Work can be medicine. A number of places I've read that um, one of the best cures for discouragement or even depression is work. One of the things that I usually tell people when, if they mention to me that they're depressed, I say, well, find somebody to serve. That'll, that'll help a lot. Because what you do, what, what happens, what, what the depressed person does is they get off to themselves and they think about how depressed they are. And that, what's that do? That just makes them more depressed. One of the ways to deal with that is just get out of your shell, get out of your room, get out of yourself, and go do something for somebody. So work is therapeutic in that sense. Well, the Father is working until now, and I am working, Jesus said. And if the Lord's working, we ought to follow in his steps and be diligent in whatever God has for us to pursue in the line of our job and especially in, in uh, pursuing God, diligence in our pursuit of God. Well, I'll stop there.